Hello and welcome to your review for the 7th of February 2023. I'm your host as always, Graham Mackay, and I'm joined by the delectable Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? Hi. What was that? Delectable? Mm-hmm. You started with a word I have to Google. Let's let's all Google it together. Delectable. Is that something I'm to, to, about learning? I think I remember. No, no, no. It's uh, delicious. No. Oh, I was thinking something else. I'll take that. Or extremely attractive, apparently. So there you go. Oh, I thought you meant dialectical, relating to the logical discussion of ideas and opinions. Definitely not. Okay. Definitely. We don't have that around here. Yeah. Um, I remember when I uh, came to university. This is just a, a marker of how old I am. Um, obviously, um, did my whole degree in English. Um, but I literally had a um, an Oxford dictionary with me when I was reading. Because there was words I couldn't understand. And see, in those days, you didn't always have the laptop or the phone. You had to have like a wee, it's like a book with words in it. And you you chased a ring about with a with a kind of wand thing and uh, had pen, pen and bikes and stuff like that, yeah. I don't know what any of these things mean. It's, it's yeah. old fashioned things. I was I was making a joke about you being old. What yes. is what is an old thing in Norway? I don't know, hitting, hitting a bit of ice with a stick or something. Still do that. Uh, that's, no. so, yeah. Can't beat the classics. Can't beat the classics. What have you been up to this week? I've been looking forward to the band section all week because finally, um, I think this is going to be a recurrent theme in the band section. I have translated my stepdad's extremely detailed uh, notes of Southern Norway uh, and I've sent it over to you. So what I want to hear is uh, how did you find Guy Fleedal, uh that's my stepdad's name. That's not just some sound I made. Um, his opus on, uh, on different roads through Southern Norway. Really. I, I would say I would say it's thorough. I think that's yes. the overwhelming uh, feeling <laughs> from it. Uh, but I haven't dived in too much because we're still waiting. Tomorrow we need to get the okay from uh, Kristen's work that she's allowed to go uh, for a holiday that week. So once that's that's planned, uh, that's in. We're going to get the, book, the flights booked and the car booked and everything and then I'll be good to go so yeah. that was it. I, I booked a flights to Rome in the summer got a wedding oh, in Rome nice win in Rome win in Rome mm-hmm. get married uh, I'm already married yeah. oh yeah the other people yes mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully that'll go well. one thing that's not commonly known about Rome is uh, it wasn't built over a 24 hour period so, some people think it was just built over 24 hours, but that was not built. A lot of people claim it wasn't. They're saying it wasn't built in a day. So, then again, all, all the roads in southern Norway, do they lead to Rome? No. So, it's what a lot of war in between. Uh, but this is the first day of Did my you know? Time. Did you know? Uh, if you tip Norway upside down, right? I didn't know this, no. No. <laughs> people have tried. If the the northernmost point of Norway, if you just essentially like tipped it upside down, you started you like pulled it up, and then you had the northernmost point of Norway going southwards. That, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, it'll end up in Rome. That's how big Norway is, and it would look like a big comma as well. Yeah, I would maybe. I would over the football booth. This is a great intro, by the way. <laughs> the best one. So I, 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 don't, I don't understand. <laughs> it's the first day of my semester break, so that is me off teaching oh. until the twenty fourth of April. I was going to come on to that twenty fourth of April. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what are the students doing? 
exams and stuff. So okay, and they do internships and uh, uh, ships. Oh and, yes, but uh, Claire is going through technology. No, is that again? Claire still wants to move on. I think we've overbanted. Have we? Yeah, no. it's more more scanting than banting. I think at this stage. What time is it? It's yeah. nearly we're nearly done. Okay, um, so let's start with the the bad. The bad being our, our saviour and yes. has been linked with another job. Yes. Of course, we don't, there's nothing in these. We know firsthand through a friend of ours that these names are often pulled out of backsides, collective backsides, and uh, there, there's nothing behind this whatsoever. But there could be something behind it. <laughs> are, are you saying that bookies don't have a secret in the know? kind of server exchange would they know what's going on i have 50 50 euros of my hard-earned cash on rafa benitez being a celtic manager to to verify that they know nothing of anything when it when it comes to managers it is obviously a way west when it comes to betting on on new managers and stuff like that but he is one of the 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 bookies favorites he's going to be the bookie favorite for every job that comes up i'm not so worried about southampton but I was I was saying earlier that Leeds United are kind of one of the clubs that would worry me because there's a bit of a romantic notion behind a, a team like Leeds United. Uh, obviously, Brian Clough was there as manager. They they won the European Cup. Um, they have kind of modern history as well, where they they're one of the first teams to win the the Premiership, and they are they've always been a kind of sleeping giant. They've always kept good crowds, had the bigger stadium and one of the biggest teams in Yorkshire. So they have a kind of, they have the kind of recipe that I think would attract someone like Ange over someone like a Brighton or a Brentford or something like that. A a team that would maybe be be more forward thinking structure wise, but don't have that kind of history that I think would attract someone like Ange. Do you you have any worry about the Leeds uh, job coming available at this time? Guess you almost start at the point of, do you accept that Ange might go, like, now, which is a scary thought. Because I think think there is not. People say, yeah, it'll go eventually. But I think it, it it seems to me that it doesn't really matter if it. I can't really see it being less of a shock when Ange goes, if, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um. And you kind of feel like he's just actually I didn't really feel with Brendan Rogers that I'm just kind of just gonna stay here forever. But I know I know that's a false narrative. And but I can't really make the leap of faith right now that I think Ange could go anywhere right now, even though I probably deep down know that he could, he's just a football manager. So I guess if I if I make that kind of you know I get over the, the fact that you know I, I just can't see you moving. I like I, I tell myself you like, you wouldn't move. And of the clubs in England, because I think I think Ange's next move is more likely to be England than anywhere else. And is he going to get any of the top seven jobs? Because I guess you have to count Newcastle into that. I think that's highly unlikely. I think he'd definitely go if you got one of them. So then you go as you say, what other clubs? Would Ange goes to because I, I, I guess I don't see him say a year from now. 
I don't see him lowering his standards of where he wants to go. But I don't know if he's going to be able to get anywhere, quote-unquote, better than what he might get now, if you see what I mean. So, Leeds is probably in that bracket that you go, because oh, it is a good, as you say, it has that, I guess, heritage. It's just uh, kind of a little bit of mystique around it and that a very big fan base and it's also not maybe as much of a basket club club that you want it to be I mean it is a little bit but it seems like you at least get a season <laughs> maybe um, so yeah it probably is that bracket I think other clubs like that Aston Villa Everton is you know, West Ham I would be very David Moyes might go and you think okay that's I'm going to go for somebody like a bigger name, but maybe not. And then, like I guess it is clubs like Brentford and Brighton. I think actually it's it's because the structure is so good, and he would get the time there. He would be kind of open to that. So I think there's a kind of two brackets of clubs he'd probably look at: slightly more basket case ones, but bigger ones, and then smaller ones, but they have really good structure. So I'm probably less worried about who's less who's who's left, like Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Southampton, you know, I don't think at this point he Bournemouth. I don't think he would that. But Leeds is probably in in the, in the two kind of brackets in the Premier League. I'd be go, oh, let's, you know, can you just hire somebody else? That'd be great. And that's also, I think, I, I'm going to turn back to you, Graham. Do you think we overestimate Ange's chances in the Premier League in terms of you know, Brendan Rodgers got. Leicester in the end, but he was a formerly Liverpool manager. Steven Gerrard got Aston Villa, but he was formerly known as Steven Gerrard, the player. Mm. Do you think we're overestimating the chance of that Ange will get a good job offer from the Premier League? I think there'll be a lot behind Ange with regards to being an international manager, managing in Japan and winning in Japan. He is a zero winner now. He's won on in three different uh, countries, and and we're he, talking about the English Premier League. I don't think he'd give a shit. Do you know things? Uh, maybe it maybe the, the, the right club would do, but I think we probably put too much stock in what Ange does at Celtic and what he's done abroad. Not that it, people should take stock of that and they should use that as like, oh, would you get this guy? But I think most chairmen in the Premier League maybe still go. Yeah, I think there will, be, there will be an impact of what happened with Gerard as well. And I was on, as as I want to do, on the Leeds fan forum just to see what they were saying. Uh, hey, this is Mr. Brick. That's what you use, Mr. Brick. For exactly, us. exactly. And uh, one of them re- referred to him as the Australian Stephen Gerard. So I think there's a kind of, uh, and someone kind of commented about the fact that, well, Gerard won the league at a canter up there and look at him at Aston Villa. So they're kind of judging him that way. But the the thing that kind of concerns me is that the other kind of, one of the main front runners seems to be the West Brom manager. And if they're, if they're considering the West Brom manager, then I think Celtic would be the level that they would consider as well. I couldn't actually tell you the West Brom manager off the top of my head. It's a Spanish guy, I think. I can't remember his name, but I'd, I'd never actually heard of him before because I don't pay attention to the championship. But, <laughs> yeah, Unless I'm looking to see if Tam has scored another world. Uh, that's the only attention I give to West Brom. But do, do you think that that is a case that 
I mean, obviously the the the, the halfwits on a, a Leeds fan forum are not going to be the deciding factor. Uh, do you think that teams down there would be judging Ange in comparison to Gerard and now less favourably? I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm, I'm afraid so, but that, that would be good if they did. Mm. Because I do think it's still of we being so all consumed with, with Celtic and Scottish football that it is striking how little most people in England care about it and know about it and how we know a hundred different like differences between Stephen Gerrard and Ange Postacoglu because we live and breathe it. But would the average football fan in England? No. Like, I, I really don't think they would. And with the average, you know, chair of a football company, I'd hope to do a little bit more research. But no, I, I honestly, I think we can overestimate people's knowledge of the football. They're not. Like, we just admit we don't know the West Brom manager. I, you know, so uh, I don't expect most people in England to, to know the intricacies of, of Scottish football and, and what Ange does and why we think he's so good and why we think he, he would be a, re- a really good fit. But all you all you kind of need is a club that does its research and mm-hmm. it's and it's due diligence on it and you know I guess just watch him speak at times. Um that can happen because he hasn't had a big result in Europe yet. Really. So I think obviously he's, he's we know oh, him, was a pretty big result. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> so obviously we, we know the state of the club when he took over and what that felt like and where we are now. And it, it's so much down to him and what he's, he's driven. But most people in England would just say, oh, he won the league with Celtic. You know, yeah, that, that's, and okay, they play some nice football. Good. But they, they, you know, they're, they're meeting farmers every week. I think that's more closer to what they think than... I know that there'll be people that who's, who's well clued up on this. I'm sure there'll be lots of, you know, Leeds fans, you know, we name drop John McKenzie all the time. John McKenzie would love to have Ash at Leeds United. Um, he's a Leeds fan and he know how good he would be. And I think in, in tactical circles, bloody hell, he, you know, people are aware of Ange and, you know, what he's done in Yokohama, what the kind of football he plays, that, and he is a good manager. But I still think he's like a slight secret. Among us, you know, I don't think he's, he's you know, uh, an obvious name for most people. So the Westboro manager is a guy called Carlos Coberan, and he had nice. to retire at 23 as a player. He, he only played for the Valencia youth team, basically. And he has since managed uh, a couple of teams in Cyprus, Huddersfield Town for two years, where he ended up with a 37% win rate. Olympiacos for 11 matches before being sacked with an 18% win rate. Thanks. But he has a 68% win rate with uh, West Brom, but he's only been there since October, so he's only been there this season. And uh, the most kind of interesting fact about him was that he was the Leeds under-23 manager for three seasons. Yeah. And uh, that's the only the, the place the only place where he's won anything, was as a Leeds under-23 manager. So it's hard to tell if by shopping in that bracket... <laughs> It sounds like they're shopping in a bracket bracket below Ange Postecoglou, if you know if you know what I mean. And the other thing, the last thing I want to ask about this before we move on, get away from a depressing topic like this, is that do you think like so? Obviously, with Leicester, Leicester could have 
Brendan Rodgers could have waited to the end of the season. He'd have probably still been given that little Leicester job, but he decided to be a rat. Ange wouldn't wouldn't be given that option if Leeds came in because they're seventeenth. Hmm. Leeds are not going to say, "Well, we'll just see what happens with a caretaker until you come in in the summer." So, do you think Ange would have the the have it in him to take over a team seventeenth in the Premiership and possibly have to do a year in the Championship? I guess you ask me if would he go now? I don't think he would, and maybe that's just wanting to believe that. But I think the Rogers thing was different in that he was another season down the line. He was clearly fed up with the board, and I guess the two of us would, you know, give him Rogers the benefit of that, that, and not the board, which is you know, which is fine. And he was honestly at the end, you know, he was going in the summer anyway. So I think there's circumstances there where, you know, it made him more likely, probably was more likely because he's been righteous as, as well, let's be honest. But no, I don't think Ange goes right now. I think if he leads, I don't know, for example, if they just scraped it and they came in the summer or any club like that to say, look, you you got a job on your hand to keep them up. I don't think that would scare him. But no, I don't think he would go like right now. What do you th- what do you think the impact would be uh, on Celtic if we if we do move on from Ange? Well, we have. You said you want to to move on. Yeah, this, <laughs> this just came to me. Uh, what do you think the impact would be with the fact that he has built the squad so much in his? Image and with a lot of players from Asia, do you think there would be any impact on us like appointing another manager? Like obviously they're gonna to have to deal with whatever whatever comes in, but do you think there's gonna be a kind of difficulty with Celtic unless we appoint someone in the image of Ange Postacolo? Yeah, I'm bloody terrified. What they'll do. <laughs> and I'm I'll I'll be terrified until proven otherwise. Because I won't give that board a benefit of the doubt. And I genuinely think there is anxious build up and the club has helped him build up a structure of you know around the transfers and all the parts of it. But it is so anxious centered that I it, we saw how quickly standards eroded when Nilan was brought in and Rogers went. And that could that happen again? Absolutely. I honestly think it could. I, you'd think that there's a because it was supposed to be built up on the Brendan Rogers. Maybe it wasn't as you know, especially on the recruitment side, as as well built up. And you'd hope there'd be a more continuity. But unfortunately, I think it's down to the choice of manager again. And I think that's the way the club operates, and you give so much power to the manager, or you put someone in charge who's do not have the power. Nilan didn't have the power, but he's happy to, you know, he won't say no to the board, right? And it's so this, it's kind of, you almost need a strong like man like Ange as though, and, and like a benevolent dictator like Ange to keep it going. Because I think if you bring in somebody who's 
too weak or they're happy to you know let the board do their thing or if you bring in somebody and give them power and he doesn't have the knowledge and the, the foresight and, and the ideas to answer you can end up doing the same thing so you know yeah i'm terrified graham the the problem i see is that Ange only got Ange Ange basically had a power grab when he came in and the only reason he was allowed to have that is because uh we were so rudderless in the the back of celtic was in such disarray if a new manager manager comes in with everything set up the way it is he he unless we sign like fucking thomas tuko or something he's not going to have the power to do the things that Ange has been able to do and, and you look at what happened. Rogers had that power and he wanted that control and he was happy. He wasn't happy when he didn't get what he wants. But I also think it's a sense of certain people on the management and owner side then says, Oh, he's gone. Here's my ideas. Let's do mm-hmm. this. And you, they can get a bit more involved again. So I, I can see them hiring someone who would be agreeable to that. Now, obviously, it's a bit strange for you and me to stand and say, oh, we need a strong manager um, because we want something else. We want a different structure. We want to put really knowledgeable football people in place that looks after the medium or short term of the club and put in place those structures. But I trust the board even less to hire someone or put the structure in that place than I do them, you know, getting a, a, another kind of and a, another ange. So probably the best we can hope for Graham is, is a knowledgeable strongman because until I see a, a shred of evidence that once Angie's gone, they'll try and build something a bit more, I guess, if you want to call it progressive or a bit logical in terms of the structure. I think the best we can hope for is like another strong manager, to be honest, which is it's, it's a terrible way of running a football club, but the alternative is, is Dermot Desmond, you know, running it, so... Jim Goodman, come on down. Yay. So, I mean, thing... Jack Ross is free and he's yeah. not doing something. Maybe he's on his way to Dubai. He can just, just. What a glimpse will beat us 9 0 the next time. <laughs> uh, but we, we have the best manager in world football and he is staying. For, for <laughs> that sounded convincing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we are playing tremendous football and. The, the tremendous football was encapsulated in 45 minutes last midweek, Christian. And I reacted to this uh, on the I, reaction. I listen. Yeah, good. Great, great job. Great job. Thank you. Oh, I, I, I am a professional reactor. Yes. Sometimes, even when I'm not on the podcast, I just sit down and do like facials reacting to things. So, yeah. In the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, okay. What, what was it about? That uh, first half, you, you've written the best half since the World Cup or the best half overall since question mark. What question was that? mark, yes. What was it about that first half that made it so special? So, yes, I, I think definitely since the World Cup, I think that was the best half of football. As I said, if you put it in the context of the whole season, okay, you got Rangers at home, it's a pretty good half. You got Real Madrid at home, the first half, I think it's pretty good. You got to Dundee United, but after that, I think you, I think you struggled to find a better forty-five minutes than this, and that is even with the caveat of, you know, being Livingston, and probably their their defensive block is set up not being 
great or it wasn't working great. But even within that, so I was that I'll give Celtics some more opportunities. I think that's what happened essentially. So what Livingston tried to do again, um, a five-three-one-one block essentially. So they had Shinny sitting on McGregor, as we've seen. That's he was still like, kind of like a second striker. The midfield tree, I think they were just Livingston midfield tree. Again, it's quite narrow, quite flat. It wasn't much moving up and down. We weren't really able to move over quickly enough to cover like the Celtic fullbacks on the other side. And also the other part was that the three centre-backs of Livingston were quite flat and narrow, so they didn't really jump up on those inverted Celtic fullbacks or like if players came in front of them in that half space. We, we talked a lot about this, Grant, but we'll talk about it when it goes to the St. Johnston game as well, that recently these teams have been, you know, setting up like this, you know, two or two, two in front in the block or, or one and one, three, at the, three in the middle and then five at the back. But a big part of it has been that, okay, you got three centre-backs, but you got a centre-back free to kind of jump up and mm-hmm. be a part of the midfield. And to various degrees, it's been quite effective. Livingston really didn't really do that. And so essentially what happened, if, if you do this against Celtic, when they're, especially when they have certain players on the pitch and they're, you know, I guess, in the mood, you're going to get tore apart. And that's what happened. And I think it's it, this is one of those games where, like, Greg Taylor just, to a large degree, kind of ran the, the build-up and the play-up. Uh, the build-up play and everything around it. And again and again and again, I've shown you like a few screenshots, but the space he had kind of behind the strikers on the side of that midfield tree to essentially take the ball and run forward, make passes and all the time. Like he had so much space and he's, he always knows when to go in. He knows you can see him shouting for the ball and so on. So, he was left with so much space, with the space that he finds himself as well. But then the dominant effect of that is that when you then had Maeda and had Tati on that side as well, and they do the same movements and they do that combination play. Um, and Livingston Dunn's staring, like staying so flat with the back tree and the midfield tree wasn't really had that dynamism moving over the spaces. And if you give Celtic those spaces to working with those three players on the left-hand side, you're going to get tore apart. I think that's what happened again and again and again. And and there was a, one of those games where a lot of the chances ended up like just offside or stuff like that. And bar, but you can tell there was like wave after wave after wave. I think also what helped with this, what I've sent you Matt O'Reilly's pass map in terms of where he received his passes in the first half. If you look at that, you wouldn't know he was the right side to number eight. Because all his he's receiving how many like 10, 15 passes high up on the left hand side. So again, Matt O'Reilly starting on the right hand side, coming on to the left hand side, and essentially getting involved in that space that was opening up on the left hand side. So Celtic were constantly challenging that half space between the right back. Uh, the right centre back, Obilievi, and the right wing back, Devlin. And Obilievi, it, it didn't really, that space was often open, but, you know, movement, 
all the rotations, the players moving, changing positions, Matt O'Reilly coming over, getting another man in there. You know, that space Greg Taylor had, he, that means he could hit Maeda early on. So he, Maeda was one and one with Devlin. And Devlin was like, you know, rocking by, by halftime. He was, you know, almost in the fit, you know, fetal position. And then, mm. so, so it was just wave after wave. So if your block isn't pinpoint, and if you give that space to those three plus or island four, she's going to get tore apart. And then also you have Jota on the other side who is effective getting around, doing a lot of the same things there as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was wave after wave. It was wave. And I, I was like, I thoroughly enjoyed it, that attack in football. And it was on a level I, I don't think we've seen, as, as I said, especially since the World Cup. But it was definitely one of the better halves this season. So you've given quite good props to David Martindale in the past uh, as one of the more tactical strip managers. But you've said uh, recently in the last couple of few days that you were quite surprised at how he's basically tried the same thing again and without results changing. Do you think that with that kind of knowledge in mind and seeing the way that we worked the last time against him, do you think that's why he brought Matt O'Reilly in? Do you think it was a case of expecting this and that's why Aurelia can come in out of the cold a little bit as you say Martindale is we have given praise and I do think it's a large part deserves it but how many games in a row is that now like four games where I haven't been that impressed with with their setup against against Celtic it was you know the March game last season we went with the back four, and you still had that issue with the had two centre backs that day, but it was that big gap between the right back, especially, and the two centre backs against Celtic was just overloading that left hand side, just just crushing them. And then, you know, the games this season that they've kind of set up the same way that every time it hasn't quite worked. Any of them, and I remember like you went to Rangers the week before the first um, away game this season, they played the back four. He played like kind of like a four, three, two, one. It's really effective. Like it was, it was risky, but it, it was effective. And I mean, and they were really good value against Rangers. Probably should have won. I mean, they got a late equaliser against it, but it was well fought out. It was, you know, they did everything they had to do. Like the match Rangers did it. I think against Celtic, they kind of go. <laughs> it's almost like he doesn't dare do that, mm. and he ends up just getting. You know, he's, he's obviously pleased that it was only 3 0. You know, and the second half of Wednesday was like Celtic had three or four shots or something. There was just, it was just finished. Mm. But, and he was happy to take that. So, yeah, no, I hasn't been impressed with him in terms of where he's been setting up against Celtic, which has been good. But, but also, I mean, that's, you have to credit Celtic there as well. I mean, everything that you've seen, you know, that, the quick passing, but the rotations, Taylor like exploiting that half space, the passing, Maeda's like speed and strength, Hatate like hearing about O'Reilly coming over, linking up. It was, it was pure Anchebol, Graham, pure Anchebol. So with with someone like O'Reilly doing that job so well and doing that role so well, leading to us being so attack attractive and uh, stuff down that left hand side, why do you think? Ange seems to have developed, developed a preference for Aaron Moy uh, in that right number eight position. And he, Aaron Moy is clearly someone who was the, the Football Scotland uh, Player of the Week this weekend. 
He is seems to be well loved by the fans, and he is clearly getting goals and assists. But he's not doing anything at all like the way you just described Matt O'Reilly in this game. So why is it why is Ange moving away from that to to a kind of almost different type of midfielder? I don't think he's moving away. I, I think he's very happy what what Ange, what Ange is very happy with what Moy is doing at the moment. But I also think he's gone through patches like this, you know, with Gigi played a lot, you know, and the wingers have changed a lot as well. But, you know, we talked about this last week. I think Aaron Moy is now very much the Tom Rodgick of the squad. And Tom Rodgick played quite a bit last season as well. So I think, you know, he's, he's happy what Aaron Moy is doing now. But do I think Aaron Moy is... A, you know, dead on starter for the rest of the season, and then and Matt O'Reilly will get the old game. I'd, I'd be really surprised if that happens. And and I mean, the big, the big, big test of that is on the twenty eighth. I think the the semi final is in terms of that that Rangers game. Um, but he's, he's always happy what what Aaron Moyes is doing here. So, I, you know, I was going to start with the Johnson block, but I think if you want to go through what. Moy, well, let, let's return to Moy because we've got a section on it. But because <laughs> we say, obviously, I weren't, I, I don't think anybody would say that the St. Johnston game was as good as the, the Livingston game, right? But I think within that, you do now have to go look at what St. Johnston, well, first I have to look at the pitch because the pitch wasn't great, but also what St. Johnston did. Because finally, Graham, it was. A back five again, but we finally saw something a little bit new, right, from St Johnston in their block. And it's funny because they still concede three goals in the first half against Celtic with Livingston do as well. But their setup, I think, was a lot better, and I think you can see that. You know, Celtic struggled a lot, lot more in the first half against St Johnston than against Livingston. So. We want to like run through what, what St. Johnson did specifically. So I said the defensive block is still still a back five. But instead of doing the, the two and the three, the two strikers, maybe one attack midfield and then three mids, essentially went sort of like a three at the at the front, two in the middle and five at the back. But those kind of wide forwards in the tree, very much, you know, slightly behind Stevie May, but they were roughly covering the half space. So when Celtics fullbacks came in, I mean, they were logically picking those up. And if Celtic got slightly further into St. Johnson's half, they kind of fell into each side of the two, you know, McPherson and Phillips. So it became like a 5 4 1 instead of a 5 2 3. But if the white forwards pushed up and the ball went behind them, and obviously because you had quite a narrow midfield too. You know, you'd think, oh, well, double space behind. Austin Johnson did really well, especially on the right-hand side. The right centre-back, our old friend, jumps up and he becomes part of the midfield tree. And and the left-sided one, that as well. So you kind of had, okay, you had Stephen May in the middle. You had the two central midfielders covering that area like a triangle. But then you had almost four players, um, two on each side in that half space. The wide forward and the right uh, and the you know the wide centre back and the wide forward, and depending on where the ball was, 
the wide forward would jump up, the right centre back would jump up, then the wide forward would jump down, and the right centre. So I think that was that kind of three two five structure worked really well against Celtic. Um, I can show a couple of screens. So, and, and it's bold, right? Because you have the two guys in the middle, my first and the first. They're really good runners. They can cover a lot, but they are dependent. They, they can't. If two in the middle, it's, it's a big pitch to, to cover everything. So they're dependent on that timing, working and doing it well. And I think for the most part in the first half, it really did work well. You know, there's examples where, you know, if it's Taylor or Hatata, who's receiving the ball in that half space area, and against Livingston, have loads and loads of space, right? Even if Livingston had the midfield three compared to St. Johnson's midfield two, because the, the centre back would jump up so quickly and so well, that's you know that's what it did. So you have to credit St. Johnson in terms of that, and you can kind of see, you know, I sent you a couple of pass maps or like the um, or the pass patterns from the first half against Livingston and the first half against St. Johnston. And you see clearly, Graham, the result of St. Johnston's block versus Livingston's block in terms of where the pass pattern sits. We're basically just in the middle of the park against St. Johnston. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the team is absolutely squeezed, you know, uh, to the halfway line. So players like Moy, McGregor, Hatate, and Alistair Johnston, not even into St. Johnson's half, Greg Taylor is in his own half. You know, Kyogos obviously and Jota's got some passes higher up, whereas against Livingston, I think there's only Starfield and Carter Rickers who didn't have an average pass location in Livingston's half in that. And so that, I mean, a large part of that is St. Johnson's block. How effective was not doing that, whereas Livingston kind of invited it, St. Johnson stood up and they were effective in it. And I think so still have Celtic score three goals, right? So, so, but what that comes from a lot, I think, was, you know, that St. Johnson block was very aggressive at times and, and they would push high up. And I don't think there's no coincidence that Celtic's first two goals come essentially from it's almost a counter-attack or at least transitions where there's a, a big direct ball up the field before St. Johnson is, is fully organizing that block. And I've sent you, um, you know, the, those two passes, the one from Kyogo and the one from Aramoy, that starts the attack for those first. I mean, I don't think I've even made them more identical. They're from pretty much the exact same spot Celtics have, and they go straight out to the right-hand side, mm. pretty much the same spot. And I've, you know, showed you the stills from, from this. So I do not think so. Celtic, whereas they've really struggled to get past St. Johnston's block when St. Johnston was organised, they were very effective in those transitions, as we call them. Um, so that's right. And I mean, the, the other part of that as well, in terms of Celtic were able to break down St. Johnston's block a few times. I think you, you do have to mention Aramoy, I think, because you know we, we talked about those points where the right centre-back jumped up and there is one point where the right centre back, which whose name I'd forgotten, this is Brown. Um, but anyway, when he jumps up, what can happen if you don't do that correct? If you get a little more, more space, obviously you leave the space behind you, right? Mm-hmm. And that happens with Moy when he Moy gets the ball, he turns. I think it was outside of his right foot. It's a really nice pass right into that half space 
where the centre back has vacated before he can get right up to Moy. And he, you know, Maeda wins, wins the duel with um, the right wing back. So by jumping up those things, they have to be correct because Celtic do have players like Aaron Moy that you know can do those passes into that space, and he has the awareness of doing it. And you know, I've, I sent you a couple of other videos as well of of when Celtic were managed did manage to break down that organized defense. And again, it's the left-hand side, right? The first one is uh, Taylor, Hatate, Maeda uh, combining on the left-hand side, threatening that house space. And I think I think it's Hatate, the first one is Hatate's pass to Taylor from out wide. Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous pass. And to be able to, 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 you need players like Hatate to be able to do those passes against an organized defense as well. Taylor's running, Maeda's running. So, but even with that, you know, even with Moy's really nice passing transition there, I mean, not much happened. You know, essentially, overall, like the stats overall from this game, for instance, Celtic took nine shots overall. Only against Rangers away has Celtic taken fewer shots this season. Hmm. Celtic had more shots against Real Madrid home and away than again this game. But the one thing that's, you know, stood out to me everything entries into the final third so how many times does Celtic get into the final third in control of the ball 43 times in this game so that's the third lowest in the league this season after the two Rangers game but out of those 43 30 of them came in the second half only 13 times the Celtic get into Celtic's final third in control of the ball that's, that's like Astonishing numbers in terms of how effective that block was. So even like getting into the box, I think the fourth flow is this season. So St. Johnson's block worked and Celtic were able to break it down occasionally, but you know, they needed those transitions, those quick attacks to break it down. And that's what you need on days like this. You need a set piece or you need, you know, and a quick attack when the opposition isn't set properly. There was a lot of times I saw players losing their footing as well. Obviously, it was a yeah. The pitch was horrible. Yeah. Um, do you think that's obviously that's not a, a characteristic of the way that we play? So, do you think that was something that was maybe done ad hoc when Ange saw the pitch, and he kind of told the players look look for these passes and try and hit, hit them early. Uh, and sub question: Should Joe Hart be going long every time? <laughs> no. So, I, I think it's a one is a consequence of the how St. Johnston was pressing because they were they were quite aggressive. And the first, I mean, the first transition is is Kyogo dropping so so deep. Like Kyogo was a big part of this, right? And and the second one is as well, is, is a chance where Celtic actually lose the ball in their own final third. McGregor regains it and then sends the ball. So I think Celtic will always try to do that, but they don't really have the you know, opportunities to do it so often because teams don't really approach Celtic like this much. But I think you can't underestimate the quality of, of individual players in this as well, that if you're struggling as a team to break, break down a block, you Celtic have the resources to buy in really, really good individual players. And in this game, I mean, Kyogo for all three goals. I mean, what he does here, I think, is 
I, I also still think he's underrated in, 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 in to a large degree about how good he is overall. I mean, the first goal is, you know, we, we've all seen it. Obviously, he drops the edge of, you know, Celtic's own first third. He sends a lovely ball, you know, great strength to show it, lovely ball. But from when he sends that pass to when he arrives in the penalty box, I mean, that's a, that's a huge run. What's that? 60, 70 yards at least. Mm-hmm. Eight seconds. And that's him almost running into me on the way in as well. So his, his, his technique, his, his strength, his vision, his speed to do that as well. Like, incredible. And, I mean, the second goal, if you look at, okay, that's, again, a lot of people, we talked about this before, where a striker like Gigi's instinct was, hit the first post and that's fine I mean, if that's your instinct that's fine but Kyoga do have a different kind of instinct whereas when Jota comes into the box for the second goal you know maybe the obvious base is to go first post because you've got kind of two St. Johnson players between almost three between Jota and Kyogo as well and you kind of go well I need to get beyond that but he waits and he just goes he wants the ball to come you know in the middle and I think Jota you know, okay, it hits, I think, Considine a little bit, but I think the players know where Kyogo kind of wants it as well. And the finish is, you know, it's, it's, it's superb. Um, and, and the third goal as well. I think if you watch this back... This is my favourite. It's so good, man. Because it, it, this is the goal where Celtic kind of breaks St. Johnson down. So, it, first of all, it's, it's a nice pass by CCV. Kyogo kind of comes and signals it. And what he does by dropping deep in that moment is that he pulls the middle centre-back, Mitchell, out, right? And he probably shouldn't go. And he's right, but, but it's just the quickness of his pass to Jota, right? I guess it turns it, then Mitchell is kind of come out. But what also happens, it creates that chaos because the two wide centre-backs, they go... Because Jota, Jota made the run just before uh, into the middle, lost the ball. So he's still in the middle. But suddenly, both the, the, both of the St. Johnston's wide centre-backs rush in to get Jota, right? So they're both coming in to fill like the, the void uh, left by Mitchell because Gogo dragged him out. And obviously, one of them, only one of them, like Constantine shouldn't get dragged over because Brown can do it. Constantine's got Aaron Moy coming behind him. And... <laughs> um, but it's because of Kyogo's movement that creates that chaos. And then it's Jota's ball and it's Moy's finish and it's all those three individual quarters coming together. But in every single part of them, Kyogo's class just defines it for me. And, and I think he's, you know, makes those three goals and he just shows uh, just how bloody good he is. It's, it's, it's like top class centre forward play. The the fact that when he does drop deep, he, he drops deep at such a pace that he probably the defender probably didn't and have time to think as well. Yeah. yeah, and like he drops deeper than where Aramoy is standing, so he's, he he basically moves into midfield to get that pass. And the one thing I love about it is that by the time Moy finishes, Kyogo was now in a position for a tap in. I mean, I'm not saying that Aramoy should have tried to tap and pass it to him, but. Kyogo had done so much work to flip back and basically yeah. be in a position just to get to receive the ball for a tap-in. Uh, obviously, the Armoy finishing it the way he did was a lot, a lot nicer of a goal, but 
just Kyogo having that awareness, having that speed of thought, having that actual speed of movement as well was just fucking stunning. And, and it, it's just constant and it's so intense. He's peaking at such a good time of the season as well. Nice. It's it's brilliant okay. to see, man. Talk, talking about peaking at the right time of the season. Graham. Um, so, so I think, obviously, I think this game is, as, as you kind of alluded to here, is like Aaron Moy comes back in instead of Matt O'Reilly. And you can kind of, you know, as I said before, I don't think it's that clear cut who's going to start the rest of the season. It's, it's clear cut that Ange is enjoying putting Aaron Moy out there. And, and I think this game is very much, you can see, for me, this game just crystallizes Aaron Moy. Like you can see the obvious qualities he has. And I don't think, you know, we've come here, we've been critical of Aaron Moy, but I don't think we've ever said he doesn't have some very good qualities with him, right? It's just, I think what we looked at is, okay, does it fit the system? And is his qualities weighing up what he can't do? And I think this game is, is, is a good example of it because, I mean, the second goal, um, well, first, I mean, where Aaron Moyes is, is so good, you know, is I think it's definitely like around the box and, you know, being able to play those short, quick passes. You know, his pass for the first goal is, you know, again, Kyogo's run is fantastic in terms of what he does in the West Coast. But you need the vision and you need, the, I guess, the calmness to hit that ball. It's a lovely ball. We talked about before in terms of how he's he's got a couple of other these, you know, we talked about the pass to Meira. He's got a couple of other ones. There's another one to Abada in the second half as well, quite similar where he's kind of got a player at the back of him, kind of turns his body and like, I don't know if it's even, maybe it was... It, I almost feel like Aaron White plays every pass without a of spoon. I don't know if he doesn't, but he almost <laughs> looks and feels like that. Again, he can hit those, he can do that turn, he can hit those balls into space for an oncoming runner. So he's good at that kind of interplay around the box. We know he can play those passes into the space. Guys like Maeda for Bada, great balls for them. So we know, and you know, third goal is, is a very nice finish. We know he has that technique and we know he's got that nonchalance is that another word nonchalance nonchalance about him Um, so he has those qualities and I don't think there have been a question of it's but coming isn't it there is a but coming still for me it's and you can see how effective that can be in a game like this I do think it's a good game in terms of how big a moments player Aaron Moy is because what you get in return for this is in this game, for example, you do not get the defensive work. And I think the second goal is, is for me, some my feelings of Aaron Moy's up to Because if you can't look at the second goal, Aaron Moy has one of the worst touches on the ball, worst lost of possessions I've seen from a Celtic player this season. There's quite a simple ball. I don't know if he tries to control it. It's, it's, it's in his middle of his own half. <laughs> I don't know if it's tries to pass it if controls it, but it just bounces five yards ahead to a St. Johnston player. Right. A really dangerous place to lose the ball. Cal McGregor runs up and wins the ball back for him. Gives it to Aaron Moy, and Aaron Moy sends a light, really nice pass to Jota and sets him free, right? And for me, that just encapsulates Aaron Moy this season. Whereas if you get people, if you know, if you get people to do the dirty work for him, you know. It works. It can work. But you need guys like 
Cal McGregor and others do that defensive work because you do not get that defensive work. Like, for example, like he doesn't have a single interception in this game. And he is, we talked about this the last time as well in terms of where he makes his passes. I've, I've showed him kind of his pass map from this game. It's all like there's hardly anything in the middle. I mean, St. Johnson did a big block here as well, and it's hard to get into, but he is more comfortable going wide, doing those passes into space. And when he gets around the penalty box, he can do the nice one touch as well, which he is effective at. So he creates those big moments. What you have to then consider, and coming back to the question you tried to ask me 20 minutes ago, right? Um, 30 minutes ago, maybe, is him against Matt O'Reilly. And what what do you weigh up playing Aaron Moy against playing Matt O'Reilly? Because I think that has to get because the question. I think the question has never been can Aaron Moy dominate the game against St. Johnston or anything? Of course he can, because he's a really good footballer with lots of experience with great technique. The question is, is what Aaron Moy does on the pitch and what he doesn't do on the pitch, is that enough? Or is, is it what it doesn't work is that worth what it doesn't do essentially against at least three games against Rangers, maybe four. And then by extension, always the next season in Europe. So, so that's the, that's the discussion you have to have. I don't think there's any point looking at saying, Oh, Aaron Moy did it against Livingston. So there you go. He should be playing against Rangers because it's a completely different sport, right? Maybe he should. But I, I think that needs to be the discussion here. And I think that this is also come back to what you said about Ange and the squad management. I think Ange is well aware of what he can, you know, what he can do, what Moy can do against those teams. And what is and then also what's required against Rangers. So he's giving Aaron Moy a run of games. Matt O'Reilly's getting less games. I I, I don't know about you, Graham, but we can go into the, like the, the comparison between the two players a bit. A lot of people like most people probably say, who, who do you start in the derby? You say Aaron Moy. But to me, it's not obvious. I just want to run through some of the numbers we've got here uh, just to give people an idea. So you're, we're talking about big games against Rangers. We're talking about Europe. Um, we've got interceptions. We've got Matt O'Reilly at 4.3 per 90. And well, these are there in the, in the league in the number eight role this season. So, yeah. Right. So, I mean, basically, we're, yeah. the kind of comparison we're talking about, player for yeah. player. Tackles, 2.9 for Matt O'Reilly. Moy, 1.8. And uh, Matt O'Reilly has got twice as high uh, expected assist rate at 0.30 to 0.15 for Moy. So I think what you're saying is uh, Aaron Moy is a luxury player. I guess I am. And I don't think there's, but to some degree, Tom Rogic was that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and, and that's, I think that's the comparison with it. Another comparison is, I guess, is what David Turnbull did in the system. At the start of Rangers, you know, time at Celtic, it wasn't a natural fit, but he had to play there, and he's, you know, he did well. I mean, he did have some games where he didn't do well, to be fair. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't like a catastrophe, and but he's, even though he didn't fit the system, but yeah, that more watch a comparison. But I think what Matt O'Reilly's really underrated part of Matt O'Reilly's game is his, I think, speed, but his work rate. Like as examples against Livingston as well, in terms of his capability to get across the field and press and win balls, 
right? And he doesn't need to have the ball just in the vicinity. The duel doesn't have to come to Aaron Moore, right? uh, to Matt O'Reilly. He can move across the pitch and he can do the defensive work. And so the, that, and I think it, I also don't think you can underestimate the, the output Matt O'Reilly has had in the 80s. As I said, he's like chance creation, type of chances he creates, you know, how many shots he gets to, how many dribble he does without losing the ball anymore as well. So he is, his output is, is, is really good, but he has the defensive side to him as well. And you know, I kind of showed you like the, the two different, the, the players' pass maps. We talked about this last week as well. Stephen Russell talked about it in his, his newsletter, but Matt O'Reilly in the eighth, you get a player that is more involved in the middle of the pitch and higher up in the pitch. So if you look at all their open play passes, Aaron Moy and Matt O'Reilly in in the league, 8% of them for both is in their own half. But then in the middle third of the pitch, uh, sorry, so 8% is in the first third of the pitch, right? 8%. So none of them comes deep, that deep, that often. In the middle third of the pitch, that's where you get 36% of Aaron Moy's passes, but only 35% of Matt O'Reilly's passes. Then in the final third, Matt O'Reilly's got 57% of his open play passes for Celtic in the final third, whereas Moy's got 46 So you, if you look at the pass, again, you know, sometimes we call this the zone 14, but it's like the, the square shape. <laughs> there is no square shape there, but imaginary, imaginary square shape right outside the penalty box, like the number 10 spot. 16.5% of most passes in there, 10% of Matt Riley's passes in there. So he's he's a number eight who is higher up the pitch and he's more central. And we know he comes over to the other side a lot as well. And he does. And I don't think so. I guess what I'm trying to you know think about is what whose skill set will you need more against Rangers? And I, I know I kind of lead you down the path that is Matt O'Reilly, but I mean, as you said, that there's a case that Aaron Moy can be very effective if the team can do some of the work for him that Matt O'Reilly would usually do himself. So you have to weigh that up and do against Rangers, say in the in the Cup semi-final. Do you have the situation, the environment, the kind of game state where you can get that effectiveness from Aramoy without the compensation you might have to do from being too much? I think that's essentially the question. So that's the question I would pose for the semi-final, really. So, I mean, we've basically got a situation where Matt O'Reilly, Matt O'Reilly from the, the stats is better on both sides of the ball. He's better at the defensive stuff and he's creating more chances than Aaron Moy. I don't know if the stats say that. You know, I've, I, you know, I don't like making big conclusions just from stats, but the, the playing style, you know, I think what stats show is that Matt O'Reilly contributes in, in, in a very effective way. I think what you have to think about is it's where Aaron Moy contributes, how he does it, where he does it, where he's good at. Well, is that a good fit for against Rangers? That, that's an open question, by the way. I'm not saying it's, it's, it is no, no. I think, but I that's think, the question you have to ask yourself. It's not, did he have a good game against St. Justin? Yeah. I, I think one of the, the problems, and it's becoming another one of these kind of 
I don't think Celtic, the Celtic support had these massive player arguments in the past. I can't remember. I blame the hipsters, man. I blame the hipsters. <laughs> there, there seems to just be like a, a jumping to poles when it comes to players like this. And it's basically just replace, replace the GG versus Kyogo thing. And uh, yeah. GG was getting numbers and Aaron Moy is getting numbers. And that influences the way that a lot of people see Aaron Moy because they're, they're maybe just seeing the goals, etc. I mean, you're getting goals. And I think people... You talk about moments, a moments player over a system player. And moments are great. And you, you make memories from them. You go, goals are great, you know, no matter what I say. But, yeah, you know, it's not really the question you need to ask yourself. Aaron Smart popularity has gone up the more his more goals he scored. And in one day, that's a logical thing. But it's also like, it, you know, Matt O'Reilly, another number eight, will be in, in a lot of those same situations. For me, it is overall, you know, who who do you play against Rangers? Whose skill set do you want against Rangers? And who, who you know, what the decisions, how do you set up the team if you choose one or the other? That's essentially And Ange has Ange has gone for moments at times under his mm-hmm. under his reign. And uh, I in a conversation we were having the other day I flippantly referred to uh, Moy as a boulder. Because he is a moment, he seems to be a moment, moments player like Abada is, and Ange has used Abada. He's used Abada against Rangers, and he's got the moment from him yeah, against Rangers. Absolutely. So there, there is something to say that maybe that is what Ange will be looking for the next time we play a Rangers, especially in the home game. I forget the cup because he he will know that he could get these moments from him because he is he's almost like a Chris Commons type player that these moments will come up. I believe he called Aaron Moy Chris Commons, by the way. <laughs> not not post not post playing Chris but, Commons, but <laughs> the, 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 the really um terrible thing that Graham is that he was probably right. I, I think that is he is a good comparison. And I, I think when we go into these discussions about work rate and defensive output, it, it is maybe easy to come across as binary. Like, oh, he's rubbish defensively. He's not rubbish defensively. Like, he's, oh, he, you know, he can't run. He, he can run. He, oh, he doesn't move around. He does move around. <laughs> he can't interview. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not just having a line. We can draw a line now. <laughs> but it, it, I think you should always, you know, be it how you want the club to be run. Or you, it's not, I think you need to be a complete footballer to play a Celtic in, in, in a lot of ways. And that doesn't mean there's not places for quote-unquote luxury or speciality players in the squad, because I think it absolutely is. But it is, as I said, it's such a different game against Rangers, such a different game in, in, in Europe. And I don't think you can have any sort of, you know, you need players who be able to do most both sides of the ball really well. To a large degree, if you want to, Europe. and that does, does mean you can't have, especially in the league that the big league seasons Celtic have the different kind of opponents. You need different tools to out unlock that. It's just when it comes to the, like the real business end of the season, and that will be the semi final, be the two league derbies, might be a Scottish Cup ones. Who do you play? Because I think that that team is pretty set now. That's the one of the things we've, we've seen now. It's very little rotation. Almost the only rotation right now is. is is you know maybe one of the wingers, even that is getting a bit less, or it's Aaron Moy or Matt O'Reilly. And you know, after Kobayashi's come back on the bench, I don't think there's any question about the team other than 
even even at wingers now, I'd be pretty confident it's Jota Maeda if it's again range. It's just the only spot we're really talking about is, is Aaron Moy versus Matt O'Reilly, I think. Or at least we're talking about it. But Yeah, and I think one of the things that can be levelled at Matt O'Reilly is he's not scoring enough for a number eight at Celtic. And I, know, I think that is Graham, probably why a lot of people now prefer Aaron Moy. But Graham, that this is this is like one one. That's an American term for you. You know, it's that it, Matt O'Reilly hasn't Matt O'Reilly gets to twice, oh no, twice, fifty percent higher XG than Aaron Moy this season. See that he hasn't scored it. It's just randomness, you know. And pe- what, what's going to happen? See, see if he gets a goal, and then he see Matt O'Reilly plays exactly the same way he's playing now, but then he gets a goal and he keeps playing exactly the way he's playing now. People are going to say, oh, you just need a goal to get back on form. And he got I know, goal. absolutely. That, that is, is exactly what's going to happen. Oh, we needed that goal. Oh, he's, you look at him. He's good. I think it's such a thing that triggers narratives. It triggers how you view players. And it's the one of the first thing they hammer into you at nerd school is you have to look beyond it. And it actually looks beyond, like you have to look beyond the goals. <laughs> but the, the, point, the point I'm trying to make here is that you, you, we're talking about people, and people are getting the hackles up. I'm, I'm seeing like a lot of kind of severe opinions on this, the same way that we had the se- severe opinions on Gigi and Kyogo. And you, you have to admit that when you when you have a player that's clearly contributing by scoring and assisting in the way that Aramoy is, and you've got a player like Matt O'Reilly who's been going in a, a bit of a desert when it comes to goals, and then you have people like you. Johnny Foreigner coming here and saying, you're fucking clearly stupid because that player Matt O'Reilly is a lot better than Iron Moy. That is going to raise people's hackles and it just maybe polarises the support a little bit. I'm not saying you polarise, you probably do polarise the support. But the the argument polarises the support. Um, Something I'm completely comfortable with as well. I I think there is a point in there that it's such a tricky subject, complex subject, but I think it is something when people come and say oh see that guy scoring goals <laughs> he's not actually that good mm. I think it rankles people because I think they see it as other people saying you don't know anything about football yeah. because you're a simpleton because you like goals, mm-hmm. essentially whereas <laughs> and it's, it's the other way is that it's like we talk about football and we, we look at football in a very specific way. Just by the matter of fact, we do podcasts, an hour and a half podcast at least on Celtic every week. You know, you know I watch the games back, stuff like that. So I base my opinions on a very almost, what I'm trying to say is like, I don't expect any fans to like do the level of, of stuff we do because most people don't want to do it. You know, we, we're interested in Graham and we like to pick it apart and we like to go into the nitty bit the grit of it. And then we, we talk about it, we, well, less and less we put stuff on Twitter. But it's it's almost, it, it's not meant as a, a, a correction to anybody. You know, it's, it's just, it's, that's our opinion based on these things. And most people like just to watch the football, see people score goals. And if somebody's scoring goals and they go, fucking love that guy, fucking love Gigi. And I'm not, and honestly, this is not what we do here. It's not saying <laughs> you idiot. It's just saying 
this is how we look at it. This is our arguments for it. This is what we believe. And we know that, you know, in any sort of analysis and stuff like that, you need to maybe, we like to dig in deeper. And I think the two can happily coexist. It's just that when you then enter into the same space, I guess it becomes polarizing in a way because it's, it's almost taken as an insult that you can say that, you know, you shouldn't look at the goals too much. And people quite right to say to us, well, you idiot. Mm. But people people get angry about it instead of just going, ah, well, well you know, people, I, I, I don't know the psychology behind that, but, you know, it's a lot of, I, think, I put something out at halftime at the game on, on Sunday there, just around the St. Justin block. And you get a couple of people go, ah, one half is talking about St. Jo- one half of the sport is talking about St. Johnston's kind of block. And other part is just going crazy for a bold man from Australia. And it's like, ah, how can people enjoy football like that? Ah, I, I was going to look and, you know, how do you enjoy football that way? And I was like, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with enjoying that side of it and enjoying the moment side of it. It's like, it's, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I just enjoy this kind of stuff and I, I like to look into it, but it's, yeah, it does annoy people. I don't know why. I guess that is why, but it's, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like the idea of having, we've, we've spoken about it before, the idea that you would have two reactions to games. You would have a, a, a reaction where people are just commenting on what they've seen in the park, and then you'd have a reaction where the, the people have rewatched the game and they're breaking it down in a different way. And I think both reactions would be valid ways of doing it. People enjoy football in different ways. I, I think even I enjoy football. When I'm at a game, even if I watch it, most games that I watch live, especially if it's like high stakes, I couldn't tell you what happened tactically. You know, just the amount of swearing I do at just you know, referees, or like just you know, I, I don't really, you know, if it's especially if it's you know like a derby, I'm being like, I don't really care about detective stuff. It is about the moments. It's about enjoying. It's a, you know, I guess, about being half caught as well, and that's fine. You know, um, it's just so many different ways of, of enjoying the football and talking about it. It's just that point where people get really angry about you because it's you do. See him one way, and it's just, it's, well, I think it's quite funny, you know. So it, it doesn't bother me in the slightest, but um, maybe that's just a part of me that is a bit like that. But it's just, just chill out, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just fine. Let's, you let's... like Moy, I think he should be benched. It's fine. Just so... Let's finish on the game by talking about Joe Hart. Yes. <laughs> Another one of the, the many uh, walls that have gone on between Celtic fans over the last 18 months or so. One of the things that that surprises me about what you've sent is that between the first picture, where the ball has just been struck by uh, the St. Johnson player, and the second picture where the ball is nestling in the net, Joe Hart's feet have not moved. He has basically just tipped over to the one side from a a standing position. What what went on with that shot? As a... As a Greek philosopher, one said, Graham, uh, guilty feet, they have no rhythm. That's Jota, his name So, this is Joe Hart, is whatever to talk about, is a nice segue into Joe Hart because it's, it's a lot of the same discussions. He is good at some things and he's not good at other things. And it's okay to acknowledge two of them. Right. And it's, 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 it's absolutely fine to say, he brings something to Celtic. You also say he's not good enough for a role. I think this is just a classic Joe Hart, what his issues has always been. 
is his footwork. So Joe Hart is an instinctive shot stopper. Like if you go, because he's got a big frame, if you get close to him, you know, he's, he's quite good at moving out. You know, he's he had that, a very, very good save by weight uh, hips last season. We, we kind of broke down a lot analysis wise. But his kryptonite, well, his other kryptonite, apart from when he gets the ball at his feet, and when some of the crosses comes in, is shots like this. Often from range, when he has to move his feet quickly. And that's not just how quickly can he move his feet, start to go there. It's about reacting to it. It's about the technique of, of doing it as, as well. And we had the whole thing about Joe Hart can't save to his left. And then whenever he makes a save to his left, he's going, <laughs> what does the hipsters know? <laughs> but it's but it's a certain the the left thing is maybe just you know coincidence that it always happened to the left, but it's these kind of shots. I remember looking at him in like the few Europa League games he had for Tottenham before he came in. It's, it's these kind of shots that he struggles with when he has to move when he can't rely on the frame of his body, right? To make the save. And as you say, like what happens. And this situation is like when the ball comes inwards, Joe Hart's about seven, eight yards out, and he steps back to about two, three yards. Great. Absolutely. You know, that's you, you don't want to be on six yards when you have maybe a shot from 20 yards. You need to go further back and give yourself a bit more reaction time. But this shot, I mean, it's not like it's in the middle of the pitch, Graham. It's you probably it's probably closer to the 18-yard line than the six-yard line in terms of you know, horizontally. Uh, but yeah, if you slow it down, what you essentially see is that Joe Hart stands, he's positioning himself. He's looks like he's got pretty good balance. But his right foot actually it just kind of collapses down. So we often call this like a, a power step for goalkeepers. A power step is kind of the step you take in direction of where you want to dive to really launch yourself, right? Because it gives you more momentum. Um, it probably does something with your actual, how hard you can stop the ball, but it essentially gives you more length to dive. You know, you can dive further. Joe Hart doesn't even have, it's almost like a negative power step, but his, his right foot kind of just collapses under him. He doesn't push us off. His right foot ends up closer to the left-hand side of the goal than where it started. You know, the ball's going to his right-hand side. His right foot probably ends up more to the left than his right. So his whole dive is just his frame collapsing down. And I think that's it. So one, he doesn't get across the goal as much. That's one thing, because the ball doesn't go right in the corner and it doesn't go right um, around the ground or high up. And the second part is because you kind of just collapsing instead of taking a power step in generating force, I think you're less likely to get a hand over and the hand not being enough because you haven't generated the force to stop that ball. Whereas you take a step and dive right, how you speed, you know, I think you essentially got more force and mass hitting the ball. So I think it's just his footwork lets him down. I don't think it's a new thing with Joe Hart. Joe Hart has always been like this. I mean, it's a tricky shot. It's a fast shot. So, but it's a sh- the kind of shot that exposes his lack of technique when it comes to his footwork. And it's, it's always been there. So, these things comes out with Joe Hart sometimes, but they've always been there. It's not like he's suddenly fallen off a cliff. It's just 
sometimes these situations arise in games, sometimes they don't, and they did this time. So it's just it's just who he is as a goalkeeper. Oh, I've got two words for you. Yes, Barky. Yes, Barky. Yes. Um, Can I also say about your heart? I think his passing is regressing. Maybe it's all the bad pitches, <laughs> but it seems like he's it seems like he's just giving up now. It's just it's just booting it. What do you what do you see as a future for Joe Hart? Do you think he stays for another season? Or well, probably a new think? contract, depending on the rumors. Um, <laughs> I think there is an inherent, like, almost. It's almost like it takes a bit more courage to buy a new goalkeeper than to buy any other, and and I kind of get that among the fans. They say, "Ah, oh, not here, Joe Hart." <sighs> I, it's almost like I feel like a lot of people, maybe we can include Angelus, but we'll see, don't want to replace him because they know what they got, right? And I don't think what they had has ever been good enough. But it's also, uh, I don't know, I, I think it takes a bit of courage to change your goalkeeper, especially if it's, you can't keep him if you wanted to. And there is like, it's not like he's, Barker, where he was got chased out, or Scott Bain or Crane Gordon, you kind of felt getting to the end anyway. I think replacing Joe Hart this summer might take a bit more quote unquote courage from the staff and the fans. Um, but if the transfer process is getting better on this, I guess they should have somebody you know identified. In say the four to five million pound bracket, that uh, can do both. They can do the safe, can do can be a bit more comfortable on the feet. So I would do it because I don't think there's any other other parts of the team now. Like not many parts of the team that needs a major upgrade, really. Uh, if Ivata and Kobayashi and, and those players kind of and and oh oh is kind of developing as we think they would, you do look at goalkeeper. I think. It's one of like the big one, maybe like, and then you talk about okay, if somebody leaves, you need to replace them. But well, the players are there now. I think, think of this goalkeeper, but no, I'm I'm not convinced at all. You know, they're going to buy a new one. I, I, I think a good kind of option would be someone, and they spoke about it in the agenda, but like a, a profile of like an Arthur Boric or a Fraser Foster who's like young can maybe come with like a loan option to buy, like both of those players did, and we could have a a, a season where. Joe Hart's still there, but maybe he starts to play less and we try and bring the young goalkeeper through. But I mean, those keepers are always going to be really hard to find, especially nowadays where you're demanding them to be good on, good on the ball as well, which uh, was not obviously something needed uh, back then. Yeah, uh, there are goalkeepers out there. And it's maybe something we can look at and then and look at a couple of names in, in terms of... I think people are, but they have been a kind of bit scared of uh, scared by Barkas. Barkas, Bark. Okay, I was going to say Barky there, um, and maybe that's put the fear into into a lot of people. But I think you just have to get over it. I mean, it's just there are goalkeepers out there that can do what Joe, like Joe Hart does, and there is. I mean, there's this one that has been. It was just like throw a name, like it's, it's a good profile, I think, because it's kind of a bar because it's like Alexander Schlager, who plays in LS, LAS, Lask, I guess, in, in Austria, and he's the Austrian national goalkeeper, for example. So he's 27, you know, it's just turned 27. He 
place for a, a I guess a national team that's compared to Scotland, a league that's compared to Scotland, in that kind of profile. I, you know, like say, say one of the goal goal one of the best keepers in be it Switzerland, Austria, maybe even Belgium, those kind of leagues go and get the best goal. What can you get for that essentially in that four or five million bracket? So I think that's you know but would say someone like Alexander Schlager would the Celtic fans embrace that straight away. Like, oh, I don't think they would because they would go, oh, sounds a bit like Bacchus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, I think, whereas maybe if you've got someone like a, a Joe Hart, a bit younger, a bigger name, people go, oh, yeah, yeah, he'll do, he'll do. But I, I think you need to go out and, and get, I mean, Celtic's gone out and got midfielders, defenders, strikers, wingers from Japanese and South Korean leagues. You know, I, I think you just have to then have the faith in the transfer process and recruitment that you can go and pick a goalkeeper that fits better as well. And then I guess the interesting is is do we have faith in our transfer process? And I know you know we talked about that a lot, all the pubs, pods and so on. So but yeah, I, I think the Joe Hart discussion in the summer will be will be interesting. Oh, I've got a name a name for yeah. you as well. Uh, good with his feet. Okay. Uh, Don't say Matt Ryan. Replacement has been signed already in Jan Sommer. Alexander Nobel is going to come back uh, from his season loan. Manuel Neuer, bring him home. Um, is he good with his feet? Is, is that something he's known for? Is that... Uh, get him out. Get him The original <laughs> superkeeper, I've got... No, I, I'd have Neuer in. Um, especially like my... My son Max would be, he loves Manuel Neuer. So it's good luck. It's good luck. Yeah, it's good luck. Right, let's end with a question. It's, it's ten, 10 minutes left. How yeah, did that happen? We're, we're good. I, had, I had other world news stories as well about okay. Man City and oh, climate yes. crisis, but we can talk about that. I've heard Liverpool's going to win the league. Yeah, Only if everyone else gets like <laughs> two a years deduction. Ago. No, two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a question from Liam. And yes. Liam wants to wants to know about your thoughts on Leo Abada. And... Do you have ten minutes? This will take ten minutes to ask. <laughs> Thank you, Liam. It's a good question, but it's it a good one. I wondered. So Liam says, I wondered if there was a stat to measure the impact of a player on the team performance. Maybe Team XG whilst player is on the pitch, for example. I asked you to Abada. He was terrible yesterday, but people keep coming back to his scoring contribution. Again, this 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 is me talking now. This idea of moments versus uh, overall fit. However, that made me think of Man City, who are clearly performing worse with Haaland, despite his amazing individual scoring contribution. I wondered if any data backs up the eye test of Abada potentially holding back the team, and also if XG, XG of the team, while certain players are on the pitch, is a viable metric. And he also add, added that maybe this could be seen as a more general thing, to not be too harsh on Leo Abada. So thanks, Liam, for the question. What do you think about that, Christian? I think Liam asked about this. That's probably one of like kind of the holy grace of football stats. But it's also, I think it's, it's, you know, it doesn't really exist. So what, what Liam is talking about is something that's quite common, I think, in stuff like, probably know this if you're interested in American sports, but ice hockey, basketball specifically, you know, they've got this plus minus stat essentially. So how is the team doing when that player is on the pitch compared to when, how they're doing when it's not on the pitch? But, Stating the obvious, you know, ice hockey and basketball is a lot smaller pitches, less players. 
and there's also a lot more rotational players uh, in those kind of uh, sports as well. It's simply just you got essentially. I think the randomness in football it's too much going on. There's too many players. There's so many different factors coming to play that. I think whenever people try to like come up with like a plus minus um, in football, it's just too much noise. There's mm-hmm. nothing reliable you can take from that. And the other point is always like, okay, Isaac is okay, not that many goals, but basketball and Isaac have got a lot more points scored, whereas goals are really random in football. They're a lot more random than points scored in basketball and ice hockey. And then, yeah, you can maybe look at then dive down into chance creation, like XG and stuff like that. That's probably better. But again, the lack of sample size, that like that huge factor of randomness and randomness in football, I think I don't think you ever really get to a point where you can have any sort of reliable plus minus in starting football. I just it will be too much noise and you can't trust it really. Um but we love to do though, don't we? We love to go and say, you know, let's look at those six games that period last season where Celtic was really struggling. You know what I was missing? You know who weren't playing, Graham? Greg Taylor wasn't playing. So, there you go. So, but I mean, it's, we all do that as fans. And I think, and I do think at one part, it says, can individual players affect what happens to the team? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the issue is there's 10 other players. So, Every player is, is less important uh, in, in that sense. And, and the other fact as well, a team can perform very, very well, especially a team like Celtic, even if one of the players aren't that good. And that's what we talked about, where I think Celtic is missing a trick in, in youth development. Because honestly, you can look at 17-year-olds from the academy. Like not any 17-year-old. He must probably be one of the better ones. Put him in a game against Livingston at home. And you'll probably be fine. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's because it's because there are the system is so good. So I, I think it's really hard to pick up those things. So I think Liam, how do you have to use your eyes, mate? And I think it, you know, Liam's eyes are. are you, you agree with his eyes? I think that's. I do. Saying. I do. I mean, that's. <laughs> but about that is the kind of same discussion that we have with Moyes. Well, he is a moments player and he has absolutely got some top, top qualities. You know, he's. I think he's very good when he's got space ahead of him, when he can run onto those balls. He had a, he has a good knack of getting into the box. And I think Angel loves that in a, in a winger. You know, he seems like he bends Jota for a few days for not doing it. And his, his, his individual stats has always been good. So he, he got such a piece, but I think it comes with the same discussion. Overall, is is you know when he doesn't have the space in front of him and he has the ball on his feet, I don't think it's enough. And defensively, I don't think it's enough, but but you 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 have to weigh up what you can do with what you know what what can the team do around them, and I think in and I think the Rangers games are a good example because the team has allowed him to to use his strengths that you know, popping up at the back back post, creating those opportunities, coming in, you know, is is. You know, in the three 0 last season, you know some of the rotations he did with Joran original rally were great. You know because he's, he's playing with Joran original rally, they're moving about, he's getting space in front of him, and he can jump into them. He's fast, you know. He's so he's, he's got. Lay all about that outside of Celtic. Is, is there a better winger 
in the league. I mean, because if you look at a couple of Rangers one, you go, oh, I mean, so he's obviously a talented player and he's 20. Yeah. You know, I mean, so he's always a very, very good player, but I think you're having the same discussions. And I think you see, I remember we did something on the Champions League in terms of comparing like Maeda's output, even though he wasn't, you know, people said he didn't have a great Champions League, but within that, this work rate is just phenomenal and he's, he's got speed and he's got strength and his technique probably is not as good as Bada's but Bada in the Champions League looked completely lost and whereas yeah. Maeda maybe didn't have a great campaign he's still doing numbers he's still working like he's still putting in a shift and he's, he's contributing to the whole system so I think this comes back to the same discussion and that Liam is I think we always have these right. players but like I think uh, for but me you can't have 22 com- complete players as well I guess no, and for me, like, um, I was never the biggest fan of Lee Griffiths, Griff, uh, Griffiths. And you'll have players that still think that if we brought him back, you'll have fans that will still think if we brought him back next week, we could maybe get goals out of him again. Yeah, 40, probably. Yeah, and uh, he did He did massive numbers for Celtic. He did but 40. I always he did, he did 40, but I always thought he was not suitable, suitable for a Ronnie Dyla striker. It just wasn't the right cog in that machine, but he was still getting goals and still yeah. doing numbers. So I think we're always going to have these players. It's, it's going to be very hard for our manager to come in and just say, okay, well, I need a living of me, uh, exactly. these players. And and, and and that's fine. And I think what the, the binary and the, I was going to say the trouble, people get a bit angry is that they, for me, it's just more accepting that play, certain players are good as certain things. They don't have to be complete. Yeah. Like, I, I absolutely understand people absolutely loving Gigi for what he did but you can love that and still say oh, he's not very good at anything else and that's fine you know it's the same with Moise the same way about it's it it's winding up Ange apparently uh, but that was we're, funny that we're, was we're, funny we're going to finish there I, I just wanted to also just get in before we finish that it does feel now as if the full time whistle happens for Celtic when we start making the five subs and I don't know. I feel as if the five sub. You got a thing about that. You don't like that, do you? The introduction of the five subs for me has has made like the final third of the game, unless we're really pushing for something, it's kind of made it obsolete. You could you could just walk away at that stage because it's like game's over. We're just going to like rest with the ball and uh, get these players minutes. And it's just I don't know. What, what, briefly, and I do mean briefly. What do you make of the five subs and the impact it has on the games? No, I think you're right. I guess it's. The issue has been more for me when it was done specifically for rotational purposes in the first half of the season. Because a couple of times it did almost go wrong. St. Johnston was a very good example. So I went over my notes from that game when Celtic was 1-0 up. And that triple sub completely killed it. I think that's the kind of games where you go, nah. But see if you're 3-0 up against Livingston, 3-1 up against St. Johnston. And, you know, it's you want to move on to the next game. Yeah, it doesn't make for a good spectacle. Like the second half against Livingston and the second half yesterday is just, you know, it's, it's not much fun. But I can see the rationale for doing it. Um, you know, because, because you can. Mm-hmm. And to kill the game and not play it out you know, like overall in the big season, it's, it's fine. But I know you don't like it, Graham. It's just, like, I don't know. I want, I want to see, I want, I want enjoyment for the 90 minutes. We don't stop. Exactly, and, and until we make our five subs. Yeah. Right, so that will do us for this week. Uh, Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure as, as 
usually I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, I mean, the strip to Norway, I think is a good material for the band section, but you'll be away for a couple of weeks. I wonder, I who, wonder who's going to be brought in. Who's going to be my Matt O'Reilly to your Aaron Moy? I think I'm working it so I only miss one Monday. So there you go. Wow. And uh, I, I think Claire would maybe t- attest that the band section was chronic this week because uh, she told us to shut the fuck up and move on. Uh, oh, yeah, she hasn't. No, she's, yeah, I think yeah, she was happy yeah. with it. I think no, that's no. just what's... No. No, not, so so. sure. not so sure. And speaking of people who should uh, STFU, there's a guy on the Leeds United forum saying that there's a Scots guy and his work raves about Ange. So that guy should shut the fuck up and stop telling English play- English people about our manager. Ah, Leeds fans. Yeah. yeah. That'll do it for me also. I've been Graham McKay, your host, and we will catch you down the road. <laughs>